Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Otis Williams. And I'm Diana Ross. And today we spoke with Jawan Jackson. Oh my goodness, this dude, his voice. I love it so much. It is down there. He is one of the few bass basses mm-hmm. that it's is in Broadway. Incredible. We were, they, we talk about in the episode that there's there's very few, like, true bases on Broadway so that they all find each other and like we'll flock to each other and talk about oh, where do you get your voice lessons? Why do you do this? And all that. And it's so cool. I love it. I, I thought it was fascinating when um, he said it when he was auditioning for Motown. He was in Detroit, still living in Detroit when he was auditioning for Motown, got offered the part and was like, when do we start touring? <laughs> Did not know he was auditioning for a Broadway show and but, then made his Broadway debut. That's fantastic though. That's that's just cool. <laughs> like, you're just doing your thing. But that also shows his character of he puts his effort into everything no matter what. Like, he's going to try his best, and I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. He was um, saying, too, that he, you know, he, he went from Detroit straight to New York to start the production of Motown and then was in it the entire run for two and a half years and then got out. And again, he's, he's one of these other actors we've talked to that's like, all right, New York, here I am, and had a huge reality check because yeah. all of a sudden he has no job and he's never filed for unemployment before. Mm-hmm. And so what does he do? And he gets a call center. He gets a job in a call center for Broadway.com of all places. In which people only want to talk to him because of his voice. <laughs> yeah. He's someone who he just keeps going. He talks about he he creates new dreams and he he just keeps going. But have, you've seen the show, right? Yeah. He's so infectious and so wonderful. I've seen it three times now and every time I'm just like, I just can't look away. That smile, you can see it from all the way in the back. Oh, yeah. it's He is one of a kind and I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, me too. So before we get into this episode, please go to ttp.fm slash Patreon to show your support. And for those of you on the $5 tier or higher, you got to know uh, that we were going to interview Joan today and got to ask some questions that we included in the episode. So um, please help us keep the lights on. It is all much appreciated. Find us on social theater underscore podcast. And now everyone, please enjoy this episode with Joan Jackson. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My guest today is an actor, singer, radio personality, and voiceover artist. He made his Broadway debut in 2013's Motown the Musical and is now starring as Melvin Franklin in Ain't Too Proud. Jawan Jackson, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> no, that's not your normal voice. That's your radio voice. That's my radio voice. But, you know, I actually pitch my, my speaking voice higher so 
people could understand me because I normally want to just talk here. This is and so. This is this your is, normal. This range. is just normal, Juwan, when I'm chilling, like at home and don't feel like talking. But here is you know more friendly, welcoming Juwan. You know, it draws you in more and it makes it more interesting. But I literally love to live down here. <laughs> love to live down there. But like at a loud party and stuff, that's a frequency that doesn't carry very well. You know, and it, and I actually get a kick out of like whispering in people's ears and parties because I'm just like. You're gonna hear me because <laughs> I'm not gonna yell over it and I'm not gonna throw my voice out. So right. I'm always in somebody's ear at a party, especially loud parties. So you're like, hey, I'm like you know, I, and I talk just like this. I'm like, because deeper tones you can hear, mm-hmm. you know, versus like someone screaming you. You're like, wait, 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 wait. But uh, well, they, okay. they're there. <laughs> All right, that, that's that's doing a little something for me. All right. Um, okay, so let's get back to our, <laughs> to our standard stuff here. Normally, we we goof around and we do like ASMR on this. We're like, mm, but, I always want to do one of those. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the ASMR always gets cut. Like the listeners don't normally hear it, but oh, we're like, let's drink some water. Yeah, we'll keep <laughs> we'll keep this one. Chick Fil A ice, <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right, so tell me, uh, you grew up in Detroit. Yes, born and raised. Born and raised in Detroit. So so your Broadway career has been all around Motown. Just through and through Motown. I, th- I feel like Detroit has blessed me with a gift of, you know, spreading the art to the world of about my city. And so I've just been blessed, you know, to to be able to represent in such a way in both the shows I've done now, being the only Detroiter in the cast, you know, in both instances that, you know, have, was representing Detroit. And you played Melvin Franklin in both shows. Both times. <laughs> so you're, both you're the times. go-to Melvin Franklin. Listen, for the, for the you know, that's what I wanted to, you know, I, I set out to be, I said I wanted to be the Broadway's base, <laughs> you know, so whatever that means, if it's Melvin, you know, if it's whatever, like, I want to be the go-to, period. <laughs> Are there a lot of other like base base people like this cuz i mean you hear like patrick from uh from Hades town he's he lives down there mm-hmm. too but like other than you and him i i couldn't name anybody else there's a couple um Dwayne Cooper is another one mm. right now he sings with uh the duo project um and there's a couple other i mean because there're not many bases like when i do meet another base i we like you know, flock teachers. Oh, who you go to? Who's your voice teacher? Where you where you been at? Like, how long you in the city for? And then, you know, a lot of them are in, you know, opera. And there's another guy named Brandon who's a monster bass. He's a monster. And he's just like, and he's so big and fit. He looks like a supermodel <laughs> and, like, and a bodybuilder all at the same time. But his voice is like really, really beautiful. Really I mean, beautiful. You, you get all the bases in a room and just like, all you got to do is hum and the walls start rattling. Listen, I would love to do that one day. I just want to, we, we need to have a cabaret, just like all the bases, you know. I think it'd be interesting. I, oh, oh, I'm, 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 I need to be a songwriter. All right, you hear that songwriters? Write, write uh, an acapella, a couple acapella arrangements for all bases. Come on. I, you, you can do it. You can do it. All right, all right. So Detroit, you... You got, um, it, how did you get into music? How did you get into singing and performing? Like, tell me about that whole history. Yeah, so singing has been a part of my my life, all my life. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. My grandfather's a pastor. I was a preacher. My cousin's a preacher. And so I've always grew up in a church. Um, gospel is, you know, in my bones. And, you know, from there, I kind of, you know, branched out to, you know, the, the R&Bs and the, the jazz. And, and my grandmother, she loves um, blues. And so, you know, I grew up on that. And so like, I remember the first time I was watching 
1986 Soul Train Awards and that year. <laughs> and I'm, I was born in 80, 87. And so she had it recorded on VHS and I was just like, you know, I guess she had put it in. I forget at the time how old I was, but I found these tapes and I watched it and, you know, Whitney Houston was on it and Dionne Warwick and Luther Vandross and Stevie Wonder and, you know, all these like great singers that we now know today, you know. And that was Whitney Houston's actual like first um, appearance of her singing her single, um, You Give Good Love. Really? Uh-huh. And I, and I watched it and I memorized that tape over and over again. The commercials included. <laughs> and, you know, that I just fell in love with, like, just their voices, you know, and them singing, you know, That's What Friends Are For with Luther Vandross, Whitney Houston, Dionne Warwick, and Stevie Wonder, just them powerhouse singers just singing that, that song. And then at the end, it was this gospel tribute with all of the major gospel artists, you know. And you had and Shirley Caesar and Vanessa Bell Armstrong are my two favorite female gospel singers. And so I would play that over and over and over and over and over again. And then eventually I started singing back. And then I started singing into my my parents like creep around the room. It was like, oh, this boy is singing. Let's do something with him. And so, you know, they put me in a choir. And how old I, were you right now? I, right now? Uh, in, in the story. At that time, I was like eight, eight or nine. Okay. And then um from there, I just started, they started putting me in like talent shows. And then my very first talent show song was, <laughs> and I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have been singing it at that age, but it was Sleeping in My Bed by Drew Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I got this feeling and I just can't turn it loose. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have, have been singing that song. That but, is not age appropriate. But I, I was in day camp and I sang that song at the talent show for the first time. And then, you know, from there on, it was just like, we on and popping, and like the girls is like crazy, and everybody, the adults is like, oh boy, they throwing money at me, and so <laughs> it was a it was a whole thing, and so you know, needless to say, growing up in grade school, school, I became the, like the guy who was singing, and that was like my my known to. So I used to try to have a persona where, and I, I'm embarrassed to say it now, and I hope the picture never like circulates and finds itself. But there's, I used to, I gel like I perm my hair. Because I used to love waves. I had waves for hair. I permed my hair and then I put gel to slick it down. So the so when the sun hit my hair, it shined. It looked crazy. <laughs> it looked crazy. But you know, that was the style. And I just, you know, I wanted to, I thought I wanted to be an RB singer. It's like mid-90s. Yeah, you know, yeah, the 90s, oh, yeah. you know, the Tevin Campbells yeah. and, and all those groups. And Can We Talk was another song that I would sing too. It's like I'm singing all those high songs and then my voice dropped. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because oh. then there's that part. Because <laughs> there was a, oh, yeah, and then you down exactly. there. Again, yeah. um, exactly. And, and were you, so you were singing all the, all the Motown, it, so not coming from Detroit, I came from Florida and then North Carolina, mm -hmm. like kind of literally as far away you get from Detroit in the U.S. Um, well, I guess I could have been on the West Coast, but who counts that? Um, just kidding, West Coast. The <laughs> trying to dig myself out of a hole and I'm making uh -huh. it worse. It's okay, I got uh, your back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's a good uh, person. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. So I I grew up like in the Bible Belt, and we didn't have a lot of music. Like it, it's still very, uh, uh, you know, I gotta say, like a Republican kind of state, mm -hmm. and and gospel soul music was not well accepted. Because there's a lot of Confederate flags yeah. still flying there today, yeah. which is not, you know, I'm not proud of. Um, 
so like growing up your childhood uh was was the motown music was that that was just normal that was just what was on the radio like you know absolutely. the roots the roots of of the city absolutely we had i literally grew up with every genre um in my household um and listened to it on the radio and because i went to a school that wasn't um predominantly black i went to i had every it was like a melting pot of of races and nationalities and so because of that i was exposed to so many different you know genres of music through my friends you know i had arabic friends i had chinese friends i had japanese friends i had you know every single so they you know we would bounce off each other and like you know it and then on the radio you know motown was just a thing it was you know a thing and like Motown artists would be coming to our schools, like Anita Baker, you know, her son was, you know, playing in, uh, we was rivaling in high schools and she would come and she'd be sitting in the audience, just like, and so we, I grew up with all these like legends, you know, Martha Reese and the Vandellas, like of the Vandellas, um, she was my dancing partner. Like we would dance, ballroom dance and, wow. you know, we'd see each other at parties and just like cut a rug, you know, with each other. And so I, it kind of was normal. Mm-hmm. You know, because my family also knew and grew up with these people because they were, you know, they all went to school together. And they were hometown heroes, our hometown heroes. And so, you know, that's just through and through what my life was. And so I, I never had, when, I couldn't think of anything else outside of not having the music I grew up in or not listening to this music. Mm-hmm. So music, music was a part of you. I mean, your childhood, it was just part of your everyday, uh, which I think, you know, kids should have in some form or another but mm-hmm. but then you know high school comes did you know did, when did you know you wanted to get into theater and did you ever think you'd be performing or were you just like i'm gonna go and you know i, I gave it a shot in the eighth grade which was my first um production like theater production and that was joseph and amazing technicolor dream coat and that was right as my i was making the transition from <laughs> i say tenor to, to bass baritone and so, you know, I, I got a part in the ensemble and um, I got my first solo line. I got to sing my first solo line in that, in that production. And then, you know, that was kind of like the, the bug because my cousin at the time who was in high school, she was in like an 11th, 12th grade. My very first production watching was Hello, Dolly. And she was, you know, the girlfriend. And so, you know, that was kind of, I was, was kind of like, wow, like, they're up there singing, they're dancing. So just to see, I was like, I want to do something like that. And so that's why I got into, you know, um, Joseph. And then the next one, I think the next year was like Music Man, the next show I did. And then the I did another, a Filler on the Roof. And so I do, did those three productions um, throughout my high school career. And, you know, but I was also singing in a gospel choir and then mm-hmm. singing in the school choir. And then I was also in marching band. And I was also like doing so many other things. Like I was, I wanted to do everything. I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly, but I knew music was always been my through line. So then you went to Eastern Michigan University mm-hmm. and and what'd you get your degree in? I got my degree in communication theater arts with a minor in um, biology. <laughs> that's a little, that's different. I went to school for biology, biochemistry. Really? Because I wanted to be a, a dolphin trainer. I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to train dolphins and work at SeaWorld because I thought I had to go to college in order to do that. And so I set out and marked my career to become a dolphin trainer because I love the animal planet. I love to watch the animal planet. I love, you know, just I was that kid, and I, you know, went to school and then I ended up getting an internship working for Disney, 
And so that took me to Florida and I worked there for a year as a manager, housekeeping manager um, for Port Orleans uh, Resort. And then while I was there, I would like volunteer. And then I got in the water with sharks, you know, thinking that like, okay, this is what I want to do in like helping out wildlife and doing that. And I got in the water, I was like, yeah, I don't belong here. <laughs> I don't belong here. Get me out of here. And I promise, it was like, a, I said a prayer in the water. I was like, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll never come back to it again. I promise I won't. And like, it was just like a movie, like a, a rock appeared and I swam over to the rock and I was like, yeah, y'all come get me. I'm not getting back in the water. You know, and well, then, since it wasn't in a cage, you were just out no, in the open they were water. just swimming all around me, like, like it was nobody's business. I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, I don't care how docile they are, like that they're wild, you know. And then like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Crocodile Hunter had just gotten killed probably like two years oh, prior. Steve Irwin, yeah, yeah, well, by that stingray. I was like, that's not about to be my story. I got a <laughs> lot, you know, in between my dash still to live. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so then your career began as a radio personality. You came back, I guess, from Florida. Yeah, so I came back, and then not knowing what I really wanted to do, I was like, "But this was that wasn't it." And so I took, I started taking electives, and then one of the electives was an improv class. And so from that improv class, I sparked up a relationship with my now, you know, still mentor friend, um, Professor Decky Alexander, and you know, she just like, you know, we took the class, and she made me fall in love with acting. And um, she was like, you have a great voice. You have a great speaking voice. You have a great presence. She was like, there's an audition coming up, a show coming up, and I think you'll be perfect for it. And, you know, a part of it is for the narrator. You should audition. And I went in. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And I went on auditioned and got the part. And then that was my my first production in college was called Bud Not Buddy, um, the book that was written by Christopher Paul Curtis. And um, I played the narrator, and I played this character called Steady Eddie. And so he was one of the band members, and he was like the the jokester. I felt like I was, I've been playing the jokester. It's been like, I don't know where these comedic chops came from. I promise you, I do not know. <laughs> Maybe it came from my cousins, because me and my cousins are always like, you know, capping on each other and like playing the dozens. And so maybe that, but um, so he was a comedic role. And then the narrator was, you know, very... Um, cool and and subdued, like, you know, just draws in the audience. Listen to my voice. And then this happened. And now we're going back to Steady Eddie. You know, it's just like one of those things. It's like, so I did that. And then I got the bug. That's when I got the bug. And then I started like doing that. She, I mean, Decky would take me over to like, she's like, okay, well, these theater troops, you know, are doing something, you should join this. Or we're doing something for the teachers, you know, for a presentation for the whole university, you know, come write pieces with us and like help us set up this formula and then show it to the faculty to train them. And so then I started doing that and then working for University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we would do is it was all all improv course. Um, And so we have like six, seven actors in a room for a week. And then we're like, putting together like simulation things of what would happen in the classroom um, for like these medical professors. And then we'll have the teachers will come in and then they'll ask us questions and we'll in character answer them, you know, based on the information and the stuff that we're given. And so that's what kind of got me like building up my improvisational skills and and everything because those teachers would, they would ask like real questions like we were like, you know, you know, conflicting for real. Just like, well, why? Would you, you know, take his paper and then um, go, you know, it was just like crazy stuff. And I was just like, wow, like, okay, 
cool. Like so, let's roll with the punches. Did you just go in with your with your backstory? You made up a whole. I had persona. backstories. Yeah. I had you know like characters and like family members. I got everything. I came prepared. <laughs> and okay, so how did you get onto Detroit's Hot 107.5? That was top radio station back then. Or still that is? was a top radio yeah. station. Um, and now that's an interesting uh, story too. I was coming home from church, and I had just graduated from college. And I was looking for a job. I was like, Lord, I need a job. And I was riding on the freeway. And the guy says, hey, I'm looking for interns, you know, to be a part of my show. If you're interested, send me your resume, you know, call me at this number, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, okay, perfect. This is, I always wanted to be on the radio, get into that. And then sent it in, met with him. And the meeting went really, really well. Like, and and he gave it to me right on the spot. And he was like, you know what? I normally don't hire men. I just don't work with men well because they're lazy. They don't do well. He was like, but it's something about you that I feel like I'm going to be okay. And so I started working with uh, this show called The Car Man Show. And that was an automotive talk show. And then so I was on, I started bumping around different stations in Detroit. So we were on Hot 107.5. We were on 102.7. We were on um, all these stations like all over. And it basically was like, I was like, I became the social media guy. The current events, when when Twitter started jumping off, really, you know, was popping. Instagram wasn't a thing then. You know, it was just like starting. And then um, from there, we turned that into a TV show. So it went from Carmen the radio show to Carmen the TV show. And my job duties became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then um, from that opportunity, I just learned so many things and so much stuff from them. Were you on air or were you like producing and doing stuff? I was doing I was doing everything. Really? I was producing. I was on air. I was like running errands. I was getting coffees. I was like, he had me doing everything. You know, he was just throwing stuff at me to see how much I can handle. And at every feat, I was like, I'm determined because this is what I wanted to do, you know. And I just think that, especially in the industry, and I and I learned this earlier on is that part of where I am today is because I had sold into myself and sold into other people. And so I knew that if I poured into him as just into his business, into his dream, um, that my, my, my return would come, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it ended up working out that way. And so I, that's why I always tell anybody who's looking to get in the industry, I'm like, you have to serve and you have to, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be doing it for free. Cause I wasn't getting paid by the way. I was not getting paid for that job. And um, he would give me like incentives and stuff, but it wasn't like an hourly, weekly check, you know? And so I had to really just like make it work. But I, I tell everybody serve first because once you get where you need to be, you're going you're gonna to appreciate it more, mm-hmm. you know? And you'll, you'll know what it feels like to work hard and to have it. You got perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got perspective because you like once you get it, you don't take it for granted. Absolutely. And it helps you learn from other folks' mistakes. Yes. You know, so you you think you're, you know, you're doing something that's meaningless, but it's actually preparing you and teaching you. And so, you know, that was the biggest, the biggest thing that I learned, you know, from helping others. Do you have a DJ name or a, an on-air no, name? No, just... I couldn't find a name at the time. And I was, I was searching, I was looking for one, looking, looking, looking. And I was like, I'm going to change my name. I'm going to do something. And I was like, and, and it just, Joanne just stuck. I was like, just be yourself. You know, just yeah. be yourself. Well, it seemed to seemed to work. Give me one of the uh, give me one of your deep commercial break. Good heading into commercial break. Goodness. So <laughs> you're listening to Hot 107.5 here in Detroit's Hot Radio Station.
Mm. That's one of my, you know, commercial ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jen and Riley back here looking at us like, what? But your publicist, you got to hear this with the headphones on. This makes a difference. Yeah, After yeah. we're done, we'll have them speaking <laughs> in the mic for the two of you. Because uh, <laughs> it like reverberates in the headphones here. Oh, mm-hmm. so nice. Gives me the shivers. It's good. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, graduation, you were saying, um, is, yeah, you, you were doing the, the program to help develop high school students yeah. who also had a, a passion for pursuing a career in acting in the arts. And is that, so is that the, the improv thing you were telling me about? Or is that something different? Yeah, so different? that was something completely different. So after I, I was, do, I was doing like a million and one things because I, want, I was just gold-driven. And I was like, I don't want to be here in Detroit any longer. I want to be famous. <laughs> and so whatever I got to do to become a hometown like celebrity or whatever I need to do, I need to do it. And so I was teaching um, during the day, during the week. And I was teaching theater to high schoolers and middle schoolers. So what we would do was we would go into these high schools, you know, in the Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor area who didn't have kind of like a theater program, a, a strong theater program, go in there, teach them you know, um, theater and go, I'll leave and go to the next school and do the same thing. And then it became an after, after school program. And so, um, they would be getting incentives, you know, from area high schoolers to, um, work with college students, partner with college students in order to, and then they end up getting like a college credit at the end, you know, so it's incentive, you know, to further educate and to help the school systems out. And so I was doing that and I was loving it. And um, and then I was doing the radio, TV stuff on the on the um, on the weekends. Also, going to church and doing church events. I was doing midnight musicals. I was doing hosting the concerts. I was hosting like everything. And I was like starting to make a name for myself. And then I ended up joining. I left the Carman show and I joined this show called On the Go with Tiffany Patton, which was kind of like a. Um, a more on like in your face, like remote. Uh, we were in, we were interviewing celebrities. We go to a concert series, so I got to interview um, Music Soul Child and um, who else I interviewed? My Angelou was one of them, and really, um, it was so many, so many people that we, I, I, you know, I got to like a chance to talk to and speak to, and um, that became a thing. And I was one, I was one of three co-hosts there, um, and that actually you know, was a journey and, a, and a, a hard lesson, you know, to take down because also I was doing that for free too. And that was another thing, like trying to sacrifice um, what you wanted to do for somebody else's dream. And, you know, I love her to death and, you know, I'm, I, but the story is like really, really real. What ended up making me like try to work on my own stuff is because like, you know, with radio shows and co-hosts and when things happen, like, you know, flyers would come out and we started the show as three. And so, you know, when we before the show had even like, you know, gave birth to its first episode, we had meetings, you know, collectively, and it was like, okay, you're gonna be a co-host, you're gonna be a co-host, you're gonna be, I'm gonna be a co-host, and this is how we're gonna run it. And so the flyers ended up coming out, and she had pictures of herself and another guy on there. And so I was like, I looked at the flyers and I was like, hey. I'm I'm not on the flyer. I thought I was a co-host, you know, with y'all. She's like, you are. She's like, but don't nobody know who you are. So, you know, I th- we have the bigger name. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. 
you know? And so that was the heart. That was like a wake-up call for me. So I felt it was like, it was my sound like, okay, get your stuff together. And so from there, I was like, I'm going to serve in this position and give my best, but I am like now checked out and done because now I'm working on myself and on my stuff. And so from there, um, Sparkle came to the city, uh, Whitney Houston's last movie. And then I sent in for background work for that, got that, and then started doing stuff on that set and was working on that, was in that movie. And that was kind of like my first um, professional um, TV movie gig. And that led to... You met Whitney, yeah? Yes, I met Whitney. Yeah. Uh, not only did I meet with her, I like got to sit in on like a, a singing lesson with her and Jordan Sparks. Like between takes... Whitney was teaching Jordan Sparks how to sing I Will Always Love You. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, man. I wish you had cell phones. Listen, I was, I was trying to be like, you yeah. know, just stickler to the rules. Everybody else snapping pictures. And I'm like, shoot, I ain't bring my phone. <laughs> you know? And it was crazy. Like that whole set just in, in, in general was just so great and so peaceful. Like. Every all the interviews that people are saying going around about like Whitney, you know, people saying like Whitney was like a joy to be around mm-hmm. on set. She really truly was. You know, she came on set. They told us specifically, do not look the actors in the eye, do not say nothing to them, do not ask to take pictures, don't ask for autographs, don't have a conversation, don't, you know, this is what like the people who were running like the extras and everything was mm-hmm. doing. And as soon as Whitney got on set, she walked up to me and was like, Good morning. And I was like, who, 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 me? Who, me? She was yeah. like, yes, you. Good morning. I said, like, good morning. You know, and so it, it was just, she was like, how you doing? I was like, I'm well, Miss Houston. Like, I love you. And then I just met. I was like, I love you so much. And I was like, <laughs> turned into a fanboy. But then I was like, get it together, Juwan. Get it together. And I can see like the ADs and everybody like cutting us eyes. So it was like, she spoke to me. I ain't speak to her. Like, what you going to tell me to tell Whitney Houston? No, don't say nothing to her. No, I'm not. <laughs> But it was great. And Jordan was so great. Like, she was really, really sweet. Uh, Derek Luke, you know, just working with that, you know, that whole cast. Um, Who else was on there? Tika Sumter, who is beautiful in person. She was, like, my first crush. Like, I was like, I've never seen a girl so pretty in my life. And then I got get here to entertainment. I'm like, oh, everybody's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Everybody's pretty. You never forget your first. You never forget your first. And she was a good first. Okay, so then how did you get to New York then? So I got to New York is, you know, every day I would search for auditions. like Still in Detroit? Yeah, still in Detroit, still, you know, working, still teaching, still doing radio, like gigging. But every day, religiously, before I went out to work, I would get up in the morning and I would search for auditions that was like either local or, you know, out of town that I could do that kind of flow with my job schedule. And at the time I was doing this show called The Wiz of Motown. And... I don't know why or how, but my uncle, you know, had the newspaper and I just was like, well, let me just read the newspaper, you know, bored. And in the classifies, no, no, you know, random place, there's an audition saying, hey, you know, audition for Motown the Musical, come in. And if you're interested, email this, whatever. And so mm-hmm. found it. It was, it was like little. And I sent the email, got a response back and auditioned in in Detroit at a school at the Marvin Winans Academy. And at the time, I was also doing a reunion concert for my college choir. So the Wisdom Motown College Choir Reunion, I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. That was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday morning. I went in early. I was like the 10th person there. 
went in, auditioned. I sang Papa Was a Rolling Stone. That was the first time I had to like bring sheet music and do all that because I didn't know. I didn't have a headshot. So what I did was I went in my bathroom in my curtain <laughs> and I took a selfie <laughs> in my suit. I had a black, like a black suit on, white shirt, black tie, and just took a selfie and then um, printed it out <laughs> and then, you know, submitted it. And so, <laughs> um, a week later, they sent me an email. It was like, okay, um, we want you to record, you know, you singing this. And so I was in rehearsals at the time. And so after rehearsal, my friends said, we set up the camera, we did the sides, and then I had to sing the... Um, the line in Ball of Confusion and the band played on. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to hit a low C because they were looking for the bass or whatever. And so I did that and I was like, I'm going to sit in. I feel funky about it. I probably won't get it, whatever. A week later, they emailed me again and said, hey, it's another audition. We want you to audition at the Motown Museum. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And at that time, I was at another audition um, trying to become a part of this like touring company with... Um, the gospel singer um, Jackie um, Clark Chisholm, who's in the infamous, you know, famous Clark singers, Clark sisters. And so she was starting like a, a choir and like a theater thing or whatever. And so went there and right after there, I went to the Motown audition and I auditioned and it was in the room, Charles Randolph Wright, which was our director, Brandon Victor Dixon and Valicia LaKay, who was are Barry and Diana. Mm -hmm. And it was raining and they looked like they were tired, like they had just gotten in. And I remember Brandon and Felicia huddled in the corner sleep, <laughs> just like <laughs> uninterested in being there. And then I walk in the room and I was like, hey, how you doing? And like, you know, Detroit style baggy clothes, just like, and then it was like, what are you going to sing? I was like, Papa was a Rolling Stone. And so it's like, all right, let's go. And so started singing and then as soon as I started singing, Brandon and Valicia set up and their eyes got big. It was like, wait a minute. We, we need you like, that's him. That's him. That's him. And so I didn't think nothing of it. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going anywhere. So then they sent me back, had me come back in and read the sides. So they were like, do you know how to dance? I was like, no, I can club dance though. You know, that was my thing. I was like, I can club dance. I can do whatever you want, but I don't, I, choreography, I've never done it. <laughs> so there's like, okay, watch the temptations, watch, you know, their styles, like try to get, familiarize yourself. I said, okay, cool. Week later, they flew me out to New York. I'm, by the way, I'm not knowing this was a Broadway show at the time. And so flew me out to New York. I auditioned um, and I sang the same song again. And then I didn't know the proper protocol for auditions, you know? And so, again, I'm I'm in Timberlands. I'm in some <laughs> baggy jeans. I'm in a big oversized, like, long sleeve button up. And they're like, you're about to have a dance call. So I'm like, what's a dance call, you know? And so we're in this room I'm with 20 other people and they're dancing us. And I'm like, I am not prepared for this. I'm sweating, drenched in sweat, big clothes, can't move. And I'm like looking like a, a chicken with his head cut off. And so then they tell everybody to leave and then they cut us down to like five. And so they bring me back in the room and they have me sing again and I sing again. Then that five went down to three, me and two other people. And then um, Patty Wilcox, our associate, I mean, our second 
choreographer. She takes me in the back room and she works with me on choreography for about an hour. And so she's like patient. She was like going step by step. And so she's like, okay, he's teachable. He can pick it up. I, you know, he he knows. And so I go back in, sing, and I'm dancing. And I'm still feeling defeated because I was like, I feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Leave, go home, fly back to Detroit. Next day, my friend calls, like, how do audition go? I was like, I don't think I got it. Like, it's it's not about to be good. You know, I'm like, what, whatever. I got other things going on. It's still a, you know, good time. And so phone rings and it's, you know, somebody from Motown. He was like, hi, it's, you know, such and such from Motown. You know, just call, you know, talk to Juwan. I said, you know, well, what is it about? He was like, you know, you got to, you know, got the part of blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, stop playing on my phone. I hang up on him. What? Hung up. I hung up on the man and I clicked back over to my friend. I said, yo, why are you playing on my phone? I just told you I didn't think I got it. And you got somebody come, you know, calling, playing on my phone. Like, who is that playing? He was like, what are you talking about? I was like, you just had somebody call and tell me I got the job. And I just told you that, I did, you know, didn't think I did good. He's like, that wasn't me. Call them back. And so I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> I hang up, call him back. And, you know, he goes again. He's chipper. I can't remember his name. He's like, hi, it's such and such. You know, I just wanted to call him, you know, and say that you got the part, you know, in Motown playing Melvin Franklin. And so I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So he's like, yeah, so you have to move to New York. And I said, okay, move to New York. That's fine. I'm thinking that's just where rehearsals were. We were going to like tour. And so... He was like, you know, so you'll be making this, you know, this amount. So I'm like, he's telling me the number. And I was like, every two weeks? Okay, whatever. Like, calculate. Because I'm like, my rent's this much. Yeah. New York's expensive. How I'm going to get like, around. No, that's weekly. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. And so then he was like, after it was all said and done, he was like, so I repeated it back to him. I was like, so, okay, I'm going to making this every two weeks. I was like, no, 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 no. That's every week. And then I lost it. And I was like, wait, what? Okay, 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 cool. I can deal with that. That's good. So then, so I was like, okay, so when do we start going on tour? You know, she's like, no, it's Broadway. I say, like, Broadway, Broadway? He's like, yeah. And so that's when, like, I ran around my apartment. I was screaming. And I remember, like, my roommate, he had just gotten off work. He he worked the night shift and he sleep during the day. And I ran in his room. I was like, I made it. I made it. You know? (laughs) I was like, I made it. He was like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, I'm going to Broadway. I'm making this much money a week. And da 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 And like, I remember calling. I called my friend. She was in South Korea at the time. And, you know, like just bawling on the on Skype, like crying. Like, I can't believe I did it. I'm moving to New York. I'm on Broadway. Like, it's about to be a thing. Like, And that was like the best moment of my life at that time. I'm like, I really, that's, that's where I felt like I got my validation that I was good enough, you know, that all my hard work was paying off because I was like trying so hard and it, it wasn't nothing hitting the way I wanted to hit. Like I had a good life. I was making consistent money. I was doing the things I wanted to do, but it wasn't fulfilling enough. Yeah. And that's been a dream for mine since I was 12 years old to be on Broadway. And so it, it was just like, everything was just like coming together and like, the way it, I moved out here was the smoothest transition. Like I got, I auditioned 12, 12, 12. And then I got the, the actual job, the 13th. And then I moved out here January 6th. And I found an apartment. Um, I'm like had my jobs, everything transitioned well. Like 
I, I was teaching people how to move that so that was self-sufficient. The radio show was done because I had left them. Like, and so everything just flowed. And like I moved out here and it was like, here you are on Broadway and like ensemble. And you know, and and you're gonna be a temptation. At the time they were trying to make they were deciding if they were going to make Temptations a principal. Mm-hmm. And so at first, that, that that's what they were talking about. And so I was like, ooh, my first, I'm about to be a principal on Broadway. And then like, but then they went into going somewhere else. But we were still like heavily like um, marketed because anytime we needed to go and do press events, they sent the Temptations out. So I got to do Kelly and Michael. I got to do Good Morning America. I got to do all these different things and events, you know, because of the group. And so I was like, wow, like, I made it, you know, <laughs> thinking that this was it until it closed. <laughs> <laughs> and so it ran, how long did it run? It ran for two and a half years. Were you in it the whole time? Yeah. So I I was out for six weeks of that run because I got, um, I injured my shoulder and I had shoulder surgery. And so um, the whole, but the whole time I was there. Okay. So you were, yeah, you were there two and a half, two and a half years. And then uh, when did, when did A2 Proud start coming into your life? Ain't Too Proud didn't come to my life till last year. Last January is when I auditioned for Ain't Too Proud. Really? Yeah. But I had heard about Ain't Too Proud probably like a year prior. Yeah. And my friend Felicia Boswell, um, who was doing a workshop, a, a reading at the time with them, you know, she had told me about it. I didn't think too much of it. She was like, she did the reading and she called me immediately after. She was like, Jawan, she was like, I'm doing this um, reading about the temptations and you need to be in this room. And I'm like, oh, okay, Felicia, like, cool. And she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, I went up to the playwright and told her, the guy that you got playing, um, Melvin, nah, that ain't it. It's my friend, Jawan. Give me your email. And so she took Dominique's email and then she was like, I'm going to send you her information so you can email her. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. And so I emailed Dominique, you know, because of my friend. I'm like, hey, my friend Felicia said, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to introduce myself. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Sent it. I never heard anything back from it. So I didn't think anything of it. And so um, the process went on and I had been like still here. So I was like, well, let me try to get something. Couldn't get an audition for nothing. Because you didn't have an agent, right? I didn't have an agent. I had a manager, but like he wasn't like heavily in the theater and so it was no way to get in there. And I didn't know who was cast because everything was like under wraps. Yeah. Like they wouldn't tell anything, you know. And so um, it was, you know, Ephraim and Derek who, once they f- were going on, were on, you know, on board with the project. We were at like, it was like a Memorial Day or Labor Day. It was one of the holidays. And we were all at a friend's house. And so Derek was like, hey, you know, you can't, are you coming in if I ain't too proud? I'm like, no, I couldn't get an audition. He's like, you couldn't get an audition? Man, don't worry about it. You like, we got you. And so probably like six months later after Berkeley, once they found out that, you know, um, the guy wasn't going on for, he they called, was like, get ready. Your audition's coming. And he sent me the the script and Ephraim was like, listen, read the script, listen to the music, you know, in succession and, you know, tell us what you think about it. And I read the script. I was like, I need to be a part of this. I need to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, auditioned. And at the time I auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar in Chicago. And so they had, they were sending me back and forth and I booked the part as Caiaphas in Jesus Christ Superstar. And my audition for Ain't Too Proud was like two days later. 
And so I was like, I'm going to go in this. And if they don't give it to me, like, whatever. I, I'm already booked. Like, I'm about to be Caiaphas. Like, and I'm about to be making some bank. So it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so went in and Mary Sugarman, she came. And after our audition, she was like, you're in a, a great you know, position. So what are you going to do? You know, she was like, are you going to be take Caiaphas or are you going to take Melvin? Like, she's like, what you going to do? Because you can't do both. And I'm like, you sure? I'm like, I'm going to try to make it work. Like, that's <laughs> me being greedy. <laughs> so I did that on my lunch break while working for Broadway.com. Right, right. Because you were in the call center. Yeah, I was in the call center answering phone calls. Yeah. Getting in trouble by people, you know, would call and they get, you know, attached to my voice or like fall in love and then be like only specifically ask for me or, you know, just like, you just sound so good. Like, just continue to talk to me. Like, you just make me feel happy. I was like, <laughs> ma'am, there are, a, is a cue. <laughs> I would love to sit here and talk to you, but you are now done. Have a great day, you know. Um, but that was fun. That, you know, taught me a lot um, during that process because that was my in-between time mm-hmm. of a working artist in every way. A survival job. Yeah. You know, trying to just, you know, pay bills and learning to still be able to maneuver in New York and still be having a life um, that was close, like Broadway adjacent, mm-hmm. you know, that allowed me to, you know, still partake and do things and not be too far away from my dream. And so that was a great job for me. Did you did you think that, um, I mean, you sort of just fell into Memphis, it sounds like, not even knowing what you were auditioning for. You thought it was a tour, not a Broadway yeah, show. Yeah, I thought, I thought so, it was a Yes, yeah, so you come to Broadway, two and a half years on Broadway, and then you're done. Did, did, did you kind of have to go through a reality check? Or were you just like, where's my next The thing? biggest one. Yeah? The biggest one. Um, and it was good and bad for me because I, going into that, to Motown, I checked off every um, dream goal that I ever had imagined for myself, you know? And so that never comes around. Not like that. And so I was faced with, what's next? What do I do? I did everything I ever wanted to do in my life. You know, I've met everybody I wanted to meet on my list. I've seen the places I wanted to be. So there's nothing else for me to do. I should go back home, you know. And then I went to LA for a while and it was, I was doing like a workshop and one of the guys, and I was like telling my testimony and and saying, and, and the guy was like, you know, make another dream, dream bigger. Than the one you had, like continue to dream. I was like, you know, you're right. Like, I am, and that's what I'm gonna do. But that was so that was my crossroads. And so then from there, I got to travel internationally. I went to South Africa for three weeks and 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 taught there. And um, and then you know, went to London and got to, you know, be on Virgin America's first, you know, flight from London to Detroit, and you know, and like do a flash mob there. That was great, you know, and so I so all these opportunities, when I allowed myself to dream bigger and, and 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 think outside of just smaller things, and you know, and then now this was this is another dream that's being checked off because now I have a litany of dreams that it's going to be every you know after one check, okay, next, okay, keep going, continue to to do it. But I also hit that drought of I don't know how to. You know, no one ever taught me once a Broadway show closes, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. So I had that moment of, I don't know, I, I've never, I'd never applied for unemployment because I've always worked, you know, and then I never not knew how to have, I never ate, not ate, 
because I always had family. So I would go to grandma's house, I would go to cousin's house, I would go to auntie's house, but now it's just me, you know, and my rent back back home was $300. So if I didn't have a job at the oh, time, geez. like, I'm okay, but <laughs> not having a job out here and have to pay New York rent, oh, uh-uh, forget about it. And so it was It was just a, it was a struggle. It was a, it was a um, reality check for me. It was like, okay, you're grown, <laughs> one, and then two, like, just hustle. And so from there, I was, I was going to audition those open calls, audition without an agent, you know, going to the equity building every morning, waking up, going to the equity, you know, agent audition calls and signing up online and, and doing all those and, and just trying to get my face in front of different um, casting directors and, and meeting people and, and networking and really, really grinding and busting my butt. And so that was a, uh, it was a lot. And then that's when I came to Broadway.com. I was like, okay, Joanne, you need to have some consistent money flowing so that you can supply the dream that you're trying to create for yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then that's when that came. Well, uh, what was it? Andre DeShield said, the, bo- the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. Listen. Yeah. That's no truer words have been spoken. That is a wise, <laughs> wise man right there. <laughs> um, did, did you meet Otis Williams when you were doing Memphis or did you meet him for the first time in uh, doing Ain't, Ain't Too Proud? Motown. Um, a Motown, yeah. I met Otis during Motown, but it was so fast because Otis, he came with the Temptations and I, he didn't get to see me perform. So Otis had never saw, uh, he didn't get to see me perform at Motown because right before I uh, sprang my calf and that's random and weird and the PT guy was working on me between shows and like it was hurting so bad. He was like, you should not do the show. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to do the show. And so I went downstairs. I called out when the office was like, I'm not doing the show tonight. And when I went downstairs, this hurts my heart every time I tell the story because I went downstairs and I was sitting down and, you know, half hour goes. And it's like, you know, at this performance, you know, Juwan's out, such and such is on. You know, hey, after the show, you know, Otis Williams and the Temptations are here in the audience. Come backstage. And also, Brandy Norwood is in the audience. She wants to say hello. I was mad. I was <laughs> big mad because I, Brandy is one of my favorite singers of all time. This has been since I was so young. And then to know that the you know the temptations were there on the night, and I had just called out, and so you know I was like, oh, I can do the show, I can do it. It was like, no, it's too late. Like we already made the switch. Like just sit down. I was like, okay, well, can I stay at least stay and watch the show? So they're like, you can stay and watch the show. So I watched the show, and then afterwards I met him, but it was so brief and so fast. Like I don't, he don't even remember. It was just so much stuff going on. Um, and so that was the first and only time I had met him prior to that. But then Dennis Edwards um, had came to the Family and Friends um, run at you know, Motown. And he was the one. And he's also one of my favorite Temptations. He was my favorite, all-time favorite Temptations. And he and I talked and he cornered us the whole night. And he just gave us a litany of just stories on stories on stories on like, you know, how this record became to be and, you know, what was, you know, what was going on when he was, you know, they were singing this record and what Barry Gordy, you know, and Norma Whitfield was going through and, you know, Smokey and, and then them touring and, and how he felt and then him leaving the group and then coming back to the group and how he feels now. Like, it was just so much and I was just like soaking it in like, 
oh my God, like this is Dennis Edwards. <laughs> the Dennis Edwards, like the singingest man in the world. Like Dennis singing-est. Edwards, singingest. Like he was just a he was just a joy, you know, and just like so much love and pouring out. He was like, I want to help you out. You know, he was like, we gotta come back. Y'all gotta go, you know, we got me and my wife gonna take you off to dinner and you know, his daughter would come and his daughter still keeps in touch on Instagram and it's been great. So, um, but then when his passing was unfortunate, but I, I definitely, I, I take those, that conversation and I like, I'll never forget it. Fake Too Proud is such an absolute fun show to watch. I mean, the, the history of the temps in general is fascinating and mm-hmm. stuff that I didn't know, but the show, the energy level and whatnot, it's, it's incredible. Do you, does the audience sing along with you? Do you hear the audience singing every night? Absolutely. <laughs> Some more than others. Last night was a, a prime example. Like we couldn't get through my girl. Like Ephraim comes out a little, you know, a little reveal. And then as soon as, you know, dun, 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 once the audience goes up and then they just go for it. It's like it turns into a karaoke. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, it let me like focus, Joan, you know, remember what you're singing. Because they will take you out. They're singing. They're so excited, you know, just to be there. And just the joy that this music, you know, sparks in so many people, you know, of all colors is what I love about it most. Mm-hmm. You know, to be a part of, you know, this legacy of, of and genre music that just, you know, inspired a nation is, is incredible. And it, this, do you do stage door? Do you get a lot of stage door feedback? That's I do. Interesting. I, I get a lot of stage door feedback. A lot. Mainly the the stage door feedback that I, I get is say something in my ear. Say something <laughs> in my ear. Come on, just talk to me in your deep voice. Talk to me in your deep voice. Or I've been asked to uh, record voicemails. Um, I've been asked to do an intro, like video intros on somebody's Instagram. I've been asked to, um, the other day I got asked to sign a phone case and then her chest. And then, um, it's, it's, it's so much. It's so much. But they're crazy. It's all love, though. It's all love. And, like, people come and they cry and they sit there and they're like, you know, thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for telling the story. Thank you for, you know, um, bringing truth to the character and, and Melvin Franklin. Like, I remember, and, like, I get the I remembers a lot, you know, and it's always good, you know, and it's appreciative and it lets me know that I'm doing my job correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the highest form of compliment when someone is take you they can't see the actor but they see the character which i think it's you know it's just you know the greatest form of flattery that i can ever see so yeah yeah well i guess it's good because it's a character people like i I think it was anna gunn from breaking bad Uh um you know walter white's ryan cranston's wife Uh actor wife um she, she like people would be mean to her on the street when they'd see her I remember reading, yeah, it was her. I was reading an article about this that people would be mean to her because they, you know, they would treat her like like her character. Yeah. And she got mean at the end of the show, you know? Oh, she sure did. Right? Oh, she but sure like, did. Well, but she was scorned. Yeah. Brian well, Kirsten had scorned her by the end of the year. her dirty. <laughs> I think I just, I just triggered. Did I trigger you? Oh, well, you know, I love that. I love Breaking Bad, first of all. <laughs> love Breaking Bad. Love Brian Kirsten too, but he did her dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh I love that show. That was one of the shows that I I watch religiously. But I'm a nerd too. So Battlestar Galactica, Black Battlestar Galactica, another one mm-hmm. that I love. Yeah. Um, uh, 
working with Derek, Ephraim, Jeremy, James, like I know Jeremy just left the show, but like backstage, mm-hmm. on stage, you guys go through so much together. Mm-hmm. What's it like backstage with us? It's, it's the same. We just goofy. We go through so much with each other. Like, um, it's it's a it's definitely a brotherhood. It's one that I de- I definitely appreciate and I love because I don't have brothers of my own. And so to to be able to look to them for support and to love and, and understanding and, and listening ears and you know to be a part of each other's lives and in every you know every turn. Now I wouldn't see myself not being their friend ever outside. I mean, once the show ends or, you know, as Jeremy's gone, we have talked every day. You know, it's it's just a great brotherhood. You know, we definitely love each other and that's no lie. You know, I I just love them. I love, I love every single one of them individually and collectively as a, a, a group, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you guys gel so well together. And it's it's such a joy to see you on stage. And mm-hmm. then um, I want to talk real quick about the choreography too, because you said you said that you're not a dancer. Oh, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so was it tough for you to learn the choreography? And I I heard that you did a split in the audition, <sighs> but you don't do it on stage. I don't do it on stage. And I actually called Derek after I did that split and cussed him out on his voicemail. And I don't, I think he st- he said he still has it because <laughs> he said the voice <laughs> because he said he laughed so hard at it because I I called him. I called him because I went to the, you know, the dance call and, you know, they did a little combination in, of um, Superstar, uh, I Can't Get Next to You, and the Ball of Confusion. And they like merged into this like one dance number. And because David Ruffin does the splits, you know, they wanted us to do a half split. And, I'm, and Edgar Godina, who is our associate choreographer, he did the splits. And I said, okay, who's going to do that? He was like, you are. I said, no, I'm not. I don't I don't do the splits. I've never done a split. He was like, well, try it. I was like, well, all right. And I did it. And I got it <laughs> each time. And then the next day when I went to the final callbacks, you know, I was like, I have to hit this split hard because I want this job. And I hit it. I was sore for weeks. I was sore for weeks. And I, I remember calling Derek. I was on the train platform. I was like, you didn't tell me that... I had to do splits in the audition. I was like, when have you ever seen The Temptation do a split? Melvin Franklin ain't never did no split. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. We ain't doing that. We're not doing that. I was like, call me back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he called me back laughing so hard. It was like, oh, man, no, they just, you know, they, they make everybody do this. I was like, you should have warned me before, you know. It was... But it was an interesting thing. But then I had six-week intensive right after because I couldn't, you know, they had already did the show prior to me joining. So it was kind of like catch-up. And so I I worked nine to five, like a a day job, learning these choreography, you know, the choreography. And um, Esther Antoine was our, you know, dance captain. And Edgar, they came in and worked with me every day. And now, like, looking back at the videos versus, I said I was going to do, like, a throwback um, Thursday from where I started to where I am on stage because I think it's it's going to be really really interesting. <laughs> People are going to laugh and going to love it, so I wanted to watch out for that one. Oh yeah, all right. Um, so you were in uh, you were in the Get Down too, mm-hmm. which I so, I'm so upset they canceled that. Oh, it was so good. It was. It was so good. So you were Easy Mike. Yes. In the Get Down. Yes. So 
Your manager, did your manager get you that role? My manager yeah. got me that one, yeah. yeah. You said he wasn't in the theater. Or is it no, the theater he was, much? they're mostly uh, television film. Yeah. And so that's an interesting, everything always, I got that by chance. I didn't audition for that character. I auditioned for another character, one of the the main um, three or four. Mm-hmm. And so I went in for that audition and at the time they had wrote a new character. Easy Mike is actually Grandmaster Flash's best friend. And so he said, I want to have my best friend in the show. So we need to be able to, we need to put him in the show. And so I was, so then they went through pictures and- I mean, the real Grandmaster the, Flash said that. Yeah, the real yeah, Grandmaster yeah. Flash said that. And so the picture of Easy Mike and I resemble. And so that's how I ended up getting chosen to play <laughs> Easy Mike. Because I remember when I went to casting, it was like, you know, we're looking for somebody who looks like him. And so we start going through. And it was like, Joanne looks just like him. We want him. And so I was set to fly out to Detroit because my grandfather was getting married that weekend. And so I was trying to go out there two days because I was my grandfather's like best man. And um, my manager calls like, Juwan, where are you going? I was like, you know where I'm going. I'm going to Detroit for my grandfather's wedding. Why are you calling me at 12 o'clock at night? He's like... So you might be on the get down. I say, I might be or I am. It's like, you might be. They're talking about it now. Casting just emailed me to see if you, you know, you're available. I was like, well, I'm getting on the flight at six o'clock in the morning. Call me back, <laughs> you know? And so he's like, okay. So they went through. And so they pushed it through. The network approved me. And then he, they sent me the sides that night. And but that, that morning, yeah, before 6 a.m. Yes. So I woke, so I got the sides probably like, two, three in the morning. And I was like, what am I about to do? Like, okay, cool. Because I was filming that next day too. And so came in, filmed the scene. And that was the first time I met Mamadou who played Grandmaster Flash. And he had just got, that was a brand new scene. And so he had got pages and pages of just like a monologue, just talking. And so... You know, I'm just coming in saying my little four lines, five lines or whatever. And then, but he's like doing work and they have to go to the next show. And like, so we spent all night, (laughs) like, you know, filming that scene and then we didn't get finished. And so then the director comes like, so I'll see you on Monday too, right? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I flew home the next day, married my grandfather that morning, that night, Flew back to Detroit and had to be on set. And I was like, okay, this, this, you know, filming can't go past Tuesday because Tuesday I was set to go to Cancun to marry my best friend. And I was his best man too. <laughs> so it was two ways back to back. And so I was like, ah, it just can't go over. It just can't. Cause I can't, I'm gonna have to say no if, you know, I've been planning this for a, a while. Like my grandfather's fine. Like, and so it ended up working out. And so filmed the scene, finished it. And then that was December. April comes, and they're like, "Well, the get down wants you back again." I said, "Oh, I'm back for another like another scene." It was like, "No, we're gonna they're reshooting the same scene." <laughs> so I got paid twice to shoot the, <laughs> the same, same scene that they still did not finish um, in the thing in the in the TV show. And so the scene that that actually ended up cutting down to was nothing that we had like went back and filmed. Like it, it cut off so much. It was like six cameras, like shots and like I had all this stuff and it just like 
got cut down to nothing. I was like, ooh, TV is brutal. Like, <laughs> you're brutal. Yep, it always is. But it was a fun, it was a fun time. I met so many great people. Yaya, who's now doing everything, you know, from Aquaman to to just everything. It was just, you know, I just met so many great people from mm-hmm. that set. Well, we are uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast here. Oh, yeah. So I want to ask you the three standard closing questions yes. that we ask everybody. So number one, what motivates you? What motivates me is my family. Um, making them proud and, and, and always knowing that anytime I go outside that I'm representing them. All right. Number two, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people now starting out down a similar path? Ooh, just don't be so silly. Don't, you know, <laughs> make sure your eye is open and and don't trust people, but always be, you know, just be very careful on the people that you let into your life and the things that you get into because it can lead you down a potentially dark path. Mm. That sounds like you speak from experience. Yes. But you can get out of it. (laughs) Okay, so if you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Martin. The the TV show? The TV show, Martin. (laughs) Martin Lawrence. Oh, you want the TV show or a Broadway show or like a a show show? We'll go with Martin. Okay, yeah, Martin. I love Martin. I would laugh all day at Martin. (laughs) Martin and the Fresh Prince. All right, we can find you on Twitter, Juwan Jackson 4. I guess there were three other Juwan Jacksons on Twitter. You know what? Now I got Juwan Jackson. Oh, got, really? Yes, it's now just Jawan Jackson because one of the people from Instagram came and saw the show. And then after the show, she hit me up. She was like, you want to just be Jawan Jackson? I was like, yeah, but I was, it wasn't available when I got it. She was like, don't worry about it. I'll get it to you. So now I'm just Jawan Jackson because I guess she bumped out whoever Jawan Jackson Sweet. Was. All right. So Twitter. <laughs> so that's favor. <laughs> All right. At Jawan Jackson on Twitter and Jawan Jackson on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. So visit uh, thetheaterpodcast.com to get more episodes and uh, theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon to show your support. We are on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Of course, please rate leave a review. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Juwan, thank you for being here. This oh, has thanks been for having wonderful. me, man. Give me, give me a, a deep voice uh, outro here. Lead us out. Hey, y'all listening to the Theater Podcast with your boy Juwan and Allen. Tune in next time. See ya. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.